Everybody got all their gifts? Put up your hands if all your gifts are bought. Not a lot of hands are going up. <laughs> As everybody's house is decorated, that's going to decorate, yeah? Everybody's ready for Christmas? Well, from, uh, for some, seven days until Christmas, that, uh, that clock ticking, uh, that's tidings of comfort and joy. And for others, it's impending grief and fear and anxiety, isn't it? Holidays often come with expectations. Expectations of happy and jolly and being together, uh, enjoying festivities with families and friends, spending a lot of time together, lots of time together. Yes, for us as a family, that gauntlet begins this Friday. We'll have people staying at our house uh, until January 2nd. Yay! Yes, three different sets of people. Right, yes, three different sets, which means the entertaining starts, then stops, then resets, then starts, then stops, then resets, then starts, then stops, then resets back to our normal life. Oh, it gets better because they overlap their stays. They come and go all on the same day. So, yes, that reset happens in seconds as it's like, bye, okay, hi. So good to have you here for Christmas. It's awesome. Some of you hear that and you be all in. You're like, the more people for Christmas, the better. The party begins. That's awesome. And others, you're helping me pack a suitcase to get out of there because that's a lot. Don't get me wrong. I wouldn't change it. I love all the people that are coming dearly. None are like Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Vacation. None of them are like that. They don't come up in a Winnipego and do all sorts of crazy things. But they'll just have to be happy with my presence as their presence. <laughs> Our Christmas season are, has, has been all about gifts of peace and love. And today's gift is the gift of joy. The gift of joy. If you can't read that, there's a big version over there. This Christmas season, it's about making room for God, like that last song we just sang, where anxiety and fear and grief have occupied our head and our hearts. God is asking us to make room for him. Make a place for him so that his presence can replace that anxiousness, that fear and grief with peace and love and joy. And because in all seriousness, many of us carry those things deeper than we realize. And it affects so much of our lives, our relationships, our habits, and our faith the fears that we hold, the anxiousness we hold, and the grief that we carry, it leaches into everything we do, every decision we make, carries the pain and the sorrow attached with those things, the guardedness and the protection that we put on our hearts because of the fear that we have, the anxiousness that we have. And God doesn't want us to live like that. And if you come to church today, and this is where you're at, this is, what you know. Know today that you don't need to leave carrying those anymore. 
that there's a divine exchange waiting for you. Maybe it's already begun in worship. God is not afraid to meet you where you are. It's actually the only way he can meet you because he comes seeking for you. And indeed, he too has endured all those things himself. The writer of Hebrews shares this, this, the way we share with Jesus. He shares it this way. He says, for we do not have a high priest in Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Tempted to give in to the pressures of this world, the anxious moments, the fearful moments, the grieving moments. Jesus faced anxiousness and fear on the cross when he bore our sin because for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When he did that, he felt his father turn his face from him, turn his back to him. Quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet at the same time, he knows that whole psalm because the rest of it speaks to God as a rescuer and that even in that moment, God will make a way. He feels grief like we do when he lost a close friend, Lazarus. He mourned for him and for those that felt lost, even though Jesus had proclaimed life to them. They were lost in their grief and lost in their sin. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And Jesus wept. See, loss and grief do two things to us. We ourselves feel lost, and it reveals a more profound longing inside of us. Mary and Martha had both come to Jesus saying, if you had only been there, Jesus, if you had only shown up on time, if you'd only stepped in when we were full of fear and anxiousness and grief, it swirls around us, doesn't it? blinding us to our foundation so our souls themselves seek for security. But sometimes Jesus permits something that he hates to show us something that he loves even more. If we're honest, we've all had those if you had been there moments with God, haven't we? Whether we're religious or not, in our moments of loss and grief, Our nature wonders where God was, why he didn't act, or if he's real, why didn't he prove himself in those moments? When we get cancer diagnoses, God, where are you? Why did this have to happen? When our finances fail, God, where is your security in in your provision? When our marriage fails, God, where is your faithfulness? When our relative or a friend is in crisis, or God, why can't you do something for them? When our dreams or our ambitions fail, God, why don't you help me succeed for you? In moments like these, a gift that we can receive is this. 
that when life is unfair, Jesus is never indifferent to our loss. It is of deep comfort, a great gift to know that God, he might not have done what we desired him to do, but he's moved with compassion and he's still present in that work in our lives. And it's okay to express frustration and disappointment and our emotions and wondering why something happened. But while expressing all this, I hope that we equally see that Jesus is present and moved by our circumstances. And he's moved by the brokenness of this world and of our hearts. A few verses earlier in that passage of John 11, when Martha accuses Jesus of not caring, if he would have been there, this wouldn't have happened. He had said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me, he shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus weeps as suffering and death is awful, but it's not the worst thing that can happen to us. Death without receiving his gift of abounding grace to cover our abundant sin is far worse. A spiritual death from which there is no resurrection. On earth, we see Jesus cry tears of compassion and conviction, grief and determination to deal with the penalty of sin once and for all. God is always working for the greatest good in our lives. The perspective that he sees is an eternal one compared to our limited perspective. But what does this have to do with joy? Let's look at another story. Israel had lost a war with an enemy and they were taken from their land and assimilated into the foreign culture to try and weaken them and keep them from fighting back. They had broken their relationship with God and as he removed their fi- his favor from him, that is when they had become captive. And as they had repented and were slowly able to return to their ancestral home, they were rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem when they found the Torah, which is the law of Moses, or in our Bible, Genesis to Deuteronomy. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our, God, our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Did you realize that's where that passage came from? The joy of the Lord is your strength. They were grieving because they realized how far from God they had gotten, how broken they were, and it had brought them to weeping. Seventy years they had been lost and gone from home, Yet the joyous celebration was that God had been working to bring them back to that loving relationship that they had abandoned. Even when they couldn't see it, God was at work. 
When we are undone by loss and grief, it brings us to a place where happiness cannot be attained, but joy can. See, happiness is fickle. It requires the circumstance to be something that we can be happy in. But joy, on the other hand, it sticks around. It doesn't get chased off by trouble. They received joy because they were brought back to God. The joy of their salvation, the joy of the Lord, their restored relationship, that would be their strength. God is our strength through everything. And for anyone who does not follow Jesus, here, family, friends, know that Jesus is never indifferent to them being lost. He never takes a day, an hour, a minute, or a second from pursuing those who are lost. If they have breath in love, the Holy Spirit is pursuing them. Jesus is never indifferent to our loss, nor is he ever indifferent to anyone being spiritually lost. Yet for the penalty of sin and death to be removed, for Lazarus to experience not only death and then another death, but again, forever resurrection. We are looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him. The reality that you and I can be redeemed that you and I can share eternity with God was a joy to him. The relationship with God unsullied by sin is complete joy, not only for us, but for him, for God. The cross of Christ represents the greatest suffering in history. For Jesus not only suffered physically, but also experienced God's wrath in taking upon him the sin of the world. And still, the promise of a future reward and joy gave Jesus the strength to endure suffering. So how can we, and how can we get that joy that we can endure suffering, endure loss, endure brokenness with the joy of the Lord as our strength? How do we receive that? Well, we can read the psalmist David, who was also a king in Israel, a psalm he wrote for the dedication of the temple. We can listen, we can reflect as today we are the temple that God resides in. He said, Lord, I will give you honor. You brought me out of the deep trouble. You didn't give my enemies the pleasure of seeing me die. Lord, my God, I called out to you for help, and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from the place of the dead. You kept me going. You kept me from going down to the, into the pit. Sing the praises of the Lord, you who are faithful to him. Praise him because his name is holy. His anger for, lasts for only a moment, but his favor lasts for a person's whole life. Weeping can stay for the night, but joy comes in the morning. 
When I felt safe, I said, I will always be secure. Lord, when you gave me your help, you made Mount Zion stand firm. But when you took away your help, I was terrified. Lord, I called out to you. I cried for your mercy. I said, what good will come if I become silent in death? What good will come if I go down into the grave? Can the dust of my dead body praise you? Can it tell you how faithful you are? Lord, hear me. Have mercy on me. Lord, help me. And you turned my loud crying into dancing. You removed my clothes of sadness and dressed me with joy. So my heart will sing your praises. I can't keep silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. When he felt that he was strong in his own strength, when he thought that he was doing it, he thought he could take on the world. He thought he was the author of his own success. But when God refused to let him take credit for what God had done, he realized where his strengths lie. It was in the relationship with God that he had found that gift of joy. Listen to how in another psalm he speaks to the nature of his joy. He says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I will not pour out offerings of blood to such gods or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body is also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Or as another version writes it, in your presence is fullness of joy. David knew that it was in the abiding presence of God that joy was found. And Jesus would say as much to his disciples as he prepared to leave them and return to heaven, which means it is just as applicable to us today. He said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love, and if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Complete. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. Complete joy. As we abide in him and obey his commands, 
to love God and others, his joy is complete. It is complete enough to transform how we live. It transforms our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our actions so profoundly that it defies natural understanding. The Apostle Paul, the writer of a lot of the books in the second half of the Bible, uh, he spoke of this dramatic shift in the lives of the church in Macedonia, who during a famine and extreme hardship had joy. He said, we want you to know, and we can hear that him saying this to us today, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In the midst of extreme poverty, in the midst of affliction, the grace of God had given them abundance of joy. This grace is available for us as well as we abide in him and see the joy set before us that can't be shaken by the trials of this life. Darlene Diebler was a newly married missionary in New Guinea when World War II reached that area. And she was separated from her husband and put in different POW camps. And she was there for four years. And during that time, she faced excruciating struggles of health and persecution. And yet in the midst of it, she had peace from God, a joy so deep that it brought one of her captors to salvation. And when her husband had gotten sick and died in another camp, even then in her grief, God's grace carried her through. When she was sent to another camp to be executed under false charges of espionage, she lived in solitary confinement, only being able to eat rice that was filled and crawling with worms. She was harassed by guards who hated her and would mistreat her. Just before she was about to be executed, she miraculously was set free. As the war ended, she came home, but it would not be for long. When healthy, she soon returned to that same area to continue sharing the gospel with those who had not yet heard it. The love of God that gives grace to the lowly, peace to the trouble-hearted, love to the fearful, and joy to those who grieve. In a talk, she once gave, she remarked that she had no regrets, no regrets for what God had led her through. Only by the gifts of peace over anxiety, love over fear, and joy in grief, only by his grace in his abiding presence. Because Jesus is never indifferent to our loss, we can receive joy in the grief, knowing that he cares deeply about what breaks our hearts. Because the Holy Spirit is never indifferent to the spiritually lost, we can receive joy in grief, knowing he won't stop calling, knocking, 
drawing them to Jesus. Jesus weeps so one day he may wipe away every tear by curing the cause of each one. Loss, grief, the deeper things and the longing for him. For that day to be this one. Just like the clouds that cover the skies and then the sun breaks through, shining down, one day we will see Jesus break forth like the dawn to bring us home. But until that day, weeping may last for the night, but loved ones, joy comes in the morning. To receive his gift of joy in difficult seasons, we need to quiet our soul into a hush and abide in him. For this too is a holy place where God comes to meet us. Let's pray. God, we pray for your abiding presence and grace in our lives today so that we could receive and know the joy of the Lord and it can be our strength when we're filled with anxious thoughts and feelings, when fear creeps in and tries to lead us and guide us, when grief seems to overwhelm us like waves, God, your joy can be our strength when we abide in you. God, would you quiet our hearts, quiet our souls and our minds to allow your presence to provide that Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.